So, Inkle HQ, we're still celebrating the release of Sorcery 1 and 2 on Steam. And to celebrate, we're going to quickly talk about the fighting and dice minigames. What makes them interesting and how they complement the text. So, I'm Tom Cale. I'm Joe Humphrey. And I'm John Ingold. So, alongside the, the map and the text choices and the sorcery, there's also a, a combat mechanic as well, which is, I think it's fair to say it's one of the most controversial elements of the game design. Mm. That, like, some reviewers really love it. Some reviewers say that they avoid fighting as much as they can. Some reviewers <laughs> say they get it, and it's really subtle and interesting, and other ones say they don't get it at all. Um, and it was a curious addition in some ways, because in the original game books that sorcery is built on, there, it's a dice rolling mechanic. We definitely didn't want to do that. We wanted to bring in some kind of AI. So the system that we ended up with, it's it's quite hard to describe. That's one of the problems with the reviews, I think, is that no one knows quite how mm. to describe it in a pithy way. I think one nice thing about the combat mechanic, mechanic is that it's kind of elegant in its simplicity. So And that, in a way, makes it difficult to describe. Right, yeah. You just <laughs> do one thing. So... Uh, it's kind of a dueling mechanic. That's the idea. It's a sword fighting dueling mechanic. And you're taking a choice of how much do you want to expose your flank by charging into your opponent? So do you go all out and risk being hurt if you're overpowered, but doing, but being more likely to land a hit? Or do you hang back and defend? So you choose that on a slider and the opponent makes that same choice at the same time. So I remember when we were designing it, we were thinking partly about rock, paper, scissors. And it's got that kind of Hmm. element of two people choose something at the same time and then reveal to get the outcome but also i was thinking at the time about the prisoner's dilemma as well and that kind of do you cooperate does that guy cooperate what's he doing can you get Mm. a sense of what kind of character he is and i think when it works the combat system is is a question of as a player you kind of go well that's a goblin and i know goblins are crazy so he's likely to sort of just hang back and then really charge so if i think he's hung back for a while that means he's likely to charge but he's weak so i can overpower him and then when you make that call right Mm. and you get him and you really nail him because you understood what he was doing that's when it works its best and that kind of nicely ties in with the text in the combat system because the the combat is described on the fly but part of that is a system of you always had a really good name for them joe um <laughs> uh did i yeah <laughs> game because I, I when i first showed you the prototype there was one line in it right. which was just totally random which was like the assassin narrows your eyes and i think you said to me is that his tell yeah like a game of poker yeah yeah. Which it totally wasn't. It was just written in the text. <laughs> but, but like I remember, we sat there and went, "That's a really good idea. Let's yeah. give the AI right." Tales. Yes, yes. So exactly. So are we saying that it, it, this was another accidental feature? Yeah, I guess it was. I guess it was. It was so kind this, of a I th- discovery. Yeah. I think this is one of the best parts of the combat game as well. That um, not only does it magically procedurally produce text that describes exactly what's going on. Yes, that's <laughs> John's uh, saying, it's me. Um, but it also feeds back. So what happens in the story um, gives you a hint as to what the enemy's thinking. Um, and so there's this sort of feedback loop between the game and the story. So, and, and it encourages players to read the story because there's vital information in there, which is kind of important um, because... 
while normally during the game you're reading the text because it's it's exposition or it's describing exactly what you're doing at any one time um, during the combat there could be a tendency for you not to not read the text because actually what's uh, primary at that moment is the mechanics the health um, what the the enemies um, what you think the enemy might be about to do next um, but it really draws you back into the text when you realize that there are subtle clues laced throughout that can give you hints on um, what move you should do. I love that it's just a bit like a it's a bit like a classic video game boss fight. Like if 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 it was done with animation and you said, "Oh, we've got this amazing system where when the guy kind of lowers his leg, that's the best moment to strike." Everyone would go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I think I've seen that before actually." <laughs> but like doing it with text was quite nice. Yeah, but that's it's kind quite of what cute. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I think I really like about it is that it's actually really hard. Like if you were playing a regular sort of RPG and there was the chance that you went up against a regular enemy and in just two or three moves he could kill you, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> and you can just by being really unlucky or just by not like paying attention to the text and getting mm. an idea of what the enemy's like, you can die. Um, and obviously Sorcery has a rewind mechanic, so if you decide that no, 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 that's not what happened there, you can undo it. But it's still remarkable that you can fight up against a regular pirate in a bar and he can just kill you. Mm. Well, I think one of the things I really liked as well was making enemies who are significantly harder. So in book one, there's quite a few kind of bats and goblins and things which are which are just weaker than you. And they're, they're just things you can clobber. They're the caterpillars, the Final Fantasy's own caterpillars of the game. But then there's the assassin towards the end of the book. And the assassin has a tell on every move he does. But because he's an assassin, his tells are extremely... They're mislead. They're deliberately misleading. So he'll look like he's defending when he's about to attack, and it's and it's really nice that watching players get to that. They go, "Oh, that fight was really difficult." And you go, "Well, actually, on paper, mechanically, that fight is one of the easiest in the game because you always know what he's going to do." But the text kind of messes with you. <laughs> and then there's the manticore at the end, like the big kind of the boss fight of of Sorcery One is is just an incredibly powerful creature, much like twice as twice as deadly as anything else you yeah. had before. I remember when Steve first played it, he said, I've got one bit of feedback, which is <laughs> that manticore was far too hard. Anyway, back to the combat. Um I was thinking about um I was saying that it that the the difficulty level's really high. Because so I remember at one point we decided that we'd add um uh, a retry button that would just be it would be really fast, really quick, and and it, that really brought a lot to the game because suddenly, when you when you can replay an enemy and you can get to know them, then that's when you really feel like you can start to understand their strategies. You get to know their tells better, and um, it just gives you this little advantage um, that allows you to kind of um, game it a bit better, and it and it also feeds back into the the system of um, the virtual fingers in the pages of the book where you get to rewind to certain Well, it's points. definitely true that people playing the original game books, if they lost a fight, would just would just, would just continue so, anyway. I mean, you, you don't No, I don't it. want to lose. <laughs> like, why would I start again? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though, because it's definitely something that that some reviewers don't like. The fact mm. that they can replay it, replay mm. a combat, they say, well, what what is the point of this? Yeah. Like, you know... They need it to be yeah. harder, which is weird because you kind of think, well, if you don't want to use it, don't use it. Yeah. But it doesn't work like that. If there's a button for it in a game, then yeah. some people think that means that's the way you're supposed to play. And some yeah. people think that's just that's it's too tempting that they can't not play that way. And then some people really just say, no, I'm just going to keep I'm just going to stick with whatever I've got unless mm. I actually die. Mm. And I don't even know what the right answer to that is. Like, I don't think we could make sorcery without that button, without that 
have another. I remember you said you were quite disappointed when you when you heard that I used I would rewind certain scenes in order to get the best out. Yeah, right. No, I remember you saying with Sorcery Two. Like that's our entire mechanic. You realise that, like you, you actually said no. I I understand now. The point of the game is that you rewind and you replay these bits. And I was like, no, you don't. You just go from you're supposed to lurch from disaster to disaster. (laughs) And I think that's I don't know where. Well, we've seen what happens when you do that. You just need to watch the Yogs cast. <laughs> well, they had a good time. I don't. I think it's interesting. I. I don't because I don't see it quite as a core mechanic. The rewind feature is more of a more of a way for players to moderate the experience because because it's so branchy, it's very difficult as as writers as designers to make sure that the game is always fair. Mm. And it definitely isn't always fair. There are places mm. you can go where you're on two stamina, and then up comes one of the seven serpents, and there's just nothing you can do. Mm. And that's always going to happen somewhere, and it's very difficult to mitigate for. So we just put that in the hands of the player and say, play it how you want to play it. Mm. Right. Well, that brings us on to the other thing that I wanted to talk about: um, the the fact that in sorcery we do have a rewind mechanic, but in eighty days we don't, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know. Like um sorcery it definitely makes sense as you said um the, I think because the original books were deliberately kind of unfair they had a lot of dead ends. And definitely they they get great enjoyment out of being unfair yeah. as well. I think it's part of the pleasure. Yeah, whereas 80 days by and large you can't die. Yeah, by and large. <laughs> by and large. Um but I think if you had a rewind in 80 days would anyone Everyone would do it, right? I mean, everyone would, would just rewind though? every missed train. Yeah, every time yeah, I guess so. that you your train got diverted to somewhere else, everyone would But again, just... it probably depends on the player. Because I, like... I feel like in 80 days, because there's such a clear deadline, it's so obvious what a mm. win and a lose is, that yeah. people would feel much more inclined that they have to optimise it, that they're supposed to. Mm. Whereas, Whereas sorcery... without, a, without a rewind, they have to take ownership of, yeah. of their decisions and and of their disasters. And the disasters are kind of part of their own narrative. Yeah. So they're kind yeah. of the in, they're, they're kind of the high points, in fact. Yeah. Which well, is quite the, unusual. The controversial mechanic in eighty days is the the repacking of your suitcases when your ship's about to depart. That yeah. some people say, oh, I really hate that, and other people say, No, no, that right, that made that really tense and exciting. Yeah. yeah. And I think. I can totally understand why people would get frustrated about it, but I also think it's a really important part yeah. of what. As a designer, I kind of love it because it perfectly maps the uh, the game experience onto the sensation yeah. that the player feels that they go, "Oh, I missed my train because I was but just running I, to the station." I tell station. you what, it was only when we were testing the PC release, like a year and a half later, that it occurred to me that you can look at the ship that you're going to get on tomorrow, see how many suitcases it's got, repack the night before, and then always catch <laughs> well, the exactly, train. Like, exactly. I did, I, that had never occurred to me that you could actually pack in advance. <laughs> and I thought I'm the worst valet in the world. I no, but isn't isn't that just what you're like in real life, John? <laughs> it is, it is. Exactly, exactly. So it was kind of that I thought was rather beautiful actually that there was a there was a depth to this mechanic that I hadn't even noticed. <laughs> so I guess the other mechanic that sorcery adds is the the dice game, which was quite an interesting piece of design in some ways, because it was partly just we took dice out of the first game, so we wanted to put it back in again in the second. Mm. Just we thought it would be surprising. But um the dice game is a kind of it's basically liar's dice it's the same as they they play in Red Dead Redemption but with conversation on top mm. and i think i don't again reaction really mixed the reaction that you read from people some people sort of love the game's called Swindlestones mm. we'll just play play it to death mm. you can play it quite a lot in book 2 if you want to 
I guess it's uh, it's sort of us taking this experiment of um, integrating gameplay with text in a meaningful way where the text feeds back into the game again um, and trying to push that even further because while the text in the combat um, is meaningful in that it affects um, what, what happens in, in the combat, um, you can actually genuinely get information out of people in the dice game if you play in the right way. If you string out the moves for long enough, then you will glean more information out of them. Yeah, I love the idea kind of, cool, that, of you... that gameplay moment where you go, well, I'm going to make this bid, which is ludicrous, but just because I really do want to know the answer right. to this question. Exactly. <laughs> if we can ever encourage people to do that. But then you get some... I mean, of course you get some people sort of saying, well, this is just really unfair. Like, <laughs> I, I wanted to, I'm not going to lose the game on it's, purpose. It's, it's never information that you kind of couldn't get elsewhere, or it's, it's just ones of many sources of information. I guess that, that goes back to our kind of almost like the theme that we've been looping around which is with sorcery and 80 days that mm. that having little failures little minor setbacks is mm. should be part of the experience not mm. something that you struggle to like try mm. to optimize away completely and conversely um the game is built out of easter eggs like everyone will find their own little wins all over the map and they will and they will feel special to them so do you think there's any mechanics that we should have added into sorcery that we didn't oh there's a question there's a question like I, my my pet hatred when making a sorcery game is writing markets and shops <laughs> because they're they're always the same. They they're incredibly fiddly because you have to deal with do they have enough money and what happens if you want to buy something and you have to look at it and give it back. And one of the reasons we took that out as a mechanic for eighty days and put that on the UI was that I just I think up front I said I refuse to write any more shops. Mm. I think I think there isn't a particular mechanic that I'd want to put in. But there's there's a kind of a movement system that I've. I've kind of wanted to put in since day one, oh, but we've yeah. never just ne- we've just never had the time, or we've never it's never had been the time quite to right. yeah. yeah, we've never had time to prototype it or whatever. That um, rather than having points on the map which you move to, you have regions, and the story could be written in almost exactly the same way. That as you cross the boundaries of regions, uh, you that pieces of story get triggered. Um, uh, but that, but that you can basically have completely free mu- movement on the map, um, but with kind of collision boundaries, as in a traditional game, just so that it feels even more free. So you really feel like you're kind of adventuring around the map, and that the story just automatically follows you as you go. Mm, just a bit more of that fluid kind of movement. Thanks for listening to the special edition of the Inklecast. You can buy parts one and two of Sorcery on Steam, and stay in touch by following us at Inkle Studios on Twitter.